You're listening to the Meditation and Attachment Podcast with George Haas. For more information, please visit our website at www.metagroup.org. That's www.m-e-t-t-a-g-r-o-u-p.org. So welcome everybody. This is Meditation and Attachment Deepening Your Practice. It is... Uh, January 27th, 2022 at 7.35 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And we've been talking about uh, how to organize practice and what might be useful in practice and uh, and uh, then began to talk about the, the entry into the insight way of practicing uh, using the Theravada map that Mahasi Sayadaw commented on in his Manual of Insight, um, really talked mainly about the first uh, stage of that, entering into an exploration of um, developing sensory clarity around the the experience of sensing. Um, So you have the five senses. And then you have mind, which orientates uh, or orients where your attention goes in each moment of meditating. The second stage is knowledge of conditionality, uh, which has a lot of different meanings or a lot of different uh, avenues of exploration. Uh, Mahasi talks about five different ways in his manual, if you look at it. Um, One of the things... uh, to think about is um, you're here in this present moment. How did you get into this present moment? So uh, you got into this present moment because all of the present moments before this moment happened allowed you to be here. One of the things I noticed as a child uh, was uh, my mother and grandmother were very interested in gardening. And they could look at different gardens and have a sense of how long the garden had been there because of the the state of the trees. Um, When I first moved to Los Angeles, I lived in uh, Brentwood uh, on Darlington Way. And uh, there was a house uh, on the corner that had uh, an old wisteria vine uh, growing across the front porch. Um, I found that, that that was very settling uh, because the vine itself had been there for uh, maybe 50 years. And uh, if the vine had been there and growing for 50 years, one could deduce from that that the environment in, in, uh, around it had been suitable for it to grow and develop over the course of that time. Is that making sense? So that even though in the present moment we can't know what the conditions of the past are, we can't really remember or experience them, what we can know is that in uh, the conditions of the past were such, we can infer into that, that they were such that we've ended up where we are now. Is that making sense? You don't have to worry about it so much. Um, So, uh, seeing matter, 
uh, seeing the causes of mind. Again, we are separating the idea of the sensing experience, uh, sensing the physical quality, and then the mind um, making the the experience that we're sensing into something. So if you have sight, uh, what is it actually that you're seeing? Well, we have a retina, which actually is sensitive to the experience of light photons. And so what you're actually seeing are light photons. Uh, and uh, you're seeing light photons reflecting off the surfaces of uh, physical objects that are in your path most of the time. And then that information uh, site space is one that goes directly to the brain. The, the whole back third of the brain is dedicated to visual processing. So then you begin, uh, as, as we like to say, the object that can be sensed, the light photon contacts, the capacity to sense it, the retina, and then that sensing material is brought into the system. Uh, there's a, an interpretation, vagueness, the poly word, of whether or not it's urgent, whether it doesn't matter whether you process it, and pleasant if there's time to process it. We know from the science of brain, of brain time uh, that urgent processes in about three-eighths of a second, pleasant in about a half a second. We know from different kinds of testing that the self-experience, the conscious experience of sensing is delayed by about a half a second and that the mind simply smooths over the, the absence so that we have the perception that what we're experiencing is happening in the time that we're experiencing it, even though it's delayed by half a second. Is that making sense? So, <clears throat> What we're seeing is this, what we're actually seeing or actually sensing is the experience of the light, which is then def defined by uh, the perceptual uh, database. We can infer that some conditioning has happened to us by the fact that we can know what something is in the moment and make it into something. Does that make sense? That if we don't know what something is, we can't make it into anything. Some of you may speak more than one language. Uh, uh, um, I have a, a, a student here who's Dutch. Sometimes when he gets tired, he slips into talking to me in Dutch. I don't understand Dutch, so it doesn't make any sense to me. But it does to him, right? I'm not conditioned for that. So that when I have a sensing experience that I don't know what it is, the mind goes into a sort of investigative state to try and figure it out. Uh, and that actually enters into consciousness that I'm aware that my mind is puzzled by what's happening. But if I have already been conditioned by uh, previous experiences to know what a particular pattern is, that just enters into consciousness already formed. You're following me on that experience. So it's only when something is unusual or out of the ordinary that the mind pauses and attempts to solve the puzzle of it, uh, most of the time using imagination or um, affiliation. But 
most experiences by the time you're an adult that enter into consciousness have a, a basis in um, a conditioned uh, experience and we create the meaning of them in that way. So then another way of seeing conditionality is to understand that things arise and things pass away. Um, everything changes. Um, when we understand the act of knowing whatever it is, it's this process of uh, the object that can be sensed, meaning the capacity to sense it, uh, consciousness of that contact experience arising, so consciousness of the sensing experience, which is then compared to the perceptual database, if there's an, uh, in, a, an entry that's close enough to it, the meaning of that uh, attaches to the undifferentiated ultimate reality experience and it becomes conceptual reality. But as soon as the object is no longer in con contact with the sensing experience, the consciousness of that sensing experience ends. Is that making sense? So we have a sense of these things arising and passing even if we don't pay attention to them. Each moment folds into the next moment. Each moment ends. Each, the next moment arises and then the next moment ends. Or that moment ends and then the next moment arises. So we're in, a, in, a, in a, an experience of always being in the the present moment, uh, and yet we can infer the past and we can infer or plan for the future. Is that making sense? So this is the knowledge of conditionality. Um, another way to begin to look at that is that the conditions <clears throat> of the previous moment set up the stage for the possibility of the next moment. And the next moment sets up the possibility for the moment after that. I like to talk about that in terms of conceptual, uh, sorry, uh, quantum mechanics. Uh, in the moment that you're in, you have chosen uh, out of all of the, the different choices that are available in that moment, the uh, action that unfolds. And from that, uh, that choice that you made in the previous moment, all of the choices that were available in the next moment open up. And as soon as you pick one of those, all of the uh, options except for the one that you pick vanish and you move into the, the experience of the choice that you make. Not making sense. One of the things about uh, conditioned experience is that uh, if we're not really mindful of this, we can just get into the habit of choosing over and over again the same kind of uh, option. So that we get into uh, what uh, the Pali word is samsara, this conditioned life where we're just constantly responding to the experience of the present moment as if the conditions of the past confine the, the present moment in the same way that the past was confined. But what we really want to begin to see is that in each moment, all of the possibilities that there are that we could possibly choose from 
are open and present and we could choose any one of them. When we get stuck into these limited views of things, what ends up happening is that we only see the, the views that we believe uh, are possible. And we don't, we, we only see the things that we think are possible, the choices that are possible because of the restriction of the view and we, we miss all of the other uh, possibilities that are in front of us. So the more that we work to clarify the view and see clearly what it is, uh, what is possible in that moment and feel free to choose from it, uh, can we choose differently than our uh, uh, conditioning had previously allowed? Does that make sense? <clears throat> Um, can you recognize the, this, the view of this moment, the view of self, the view of what's possible, and can you compare it to all of the choices that are there, and can you do it fast enough that the moment doesn't move into the next moment before you've chosen? So that's the, the this process of, of attending to this, then developing your mentalization or your metacognition skill to the point that you can track all of this in real time and in time make the intention and choice for the action. Track the outcome of that. Uh, track the possibilities in the next moment for the uh, what action you might choose and choosing the action and tracking it in this process moving in a beneficial direction rather than getting sideswiped into a um, uh, afflictive strategy. One of the things that typically happens to us though is that we begin to develop a process of preferences for things. And then as we go through the world, we we'd make these mind moments, these snapshots of things that we like, and we exclude things that we don't like. And so as we create this experience of conceptual reality, it is really a representation of things that we prefer, or the things that we don't prefer conveniently left out of it. So part of this shift in understanding the nature of things is to shift out of the belief that what you see and how you've created conceptual reality is an accurate representation of what's there uh, necessarily. We can know it in the way that uh, human beings can know about things. We can touch into the, the sacredness the, the, of the, the experience of, of, of this life, but we are still limited to, to knowing it in the human form. Another uh, aspect of uh, conditionality is this process of the selection and how uh, meaning is inferred into things. Um, we were on retreat uh, in uh, December and January uh, in uh, the Sierras. And from my vantage point, uh, uh, there's a yurt where we meditate. Uh, Looking out the window, I could see a, a, a woodpecker. 
Um, I, I have an affinity for birds, and one of my favorite uh, things to do as a child was to go to a park called Harms Woods, which was a drive from where we lived, and um, and run into the woods. And um, at that time, you could actually see a great uh, northern woodpeckers in in the forest. They're, they've since uh, become extinct, but uh, so 60 years ago or so, they were still around. And um, they were quite large and uh, magnificent birds, and the, the sound that the pecking uh, on the wood made was quite vivid, left a big uh, emotional impression, a big memory. Um, so that when I see the woodpecker, or I see a woodpecker now, even though it's it's not that the same bird, when my mind goes to the database to create the experience of the moment, uh, one of the references that, that it uses is that childhood experience of enjoyment of the woodpecker. So I see a woodpecker now outside of the yard pecking on the tree, and uh, as uh, the meaning of the conceptual reality is formed, it has a, a strong emotional component to it, which is actually the childhood experience um, associating with the experience of the present moment. Is that making sense? So that what we want to really be able to know as we examine the experience of the present moment is the meanings that we're associating with the experience of the present moment and to also know whether or not the meanings that we're associating are based in the present moment experience or based in the, the memory of similar kinds of experiences as we identified and made the moment that we are experiencing. Is that making sense? Um, the other thing to pay attention to is the, uh, the, the, the effect that that has on the mind and the mind moments that it's selecting. So the visual field in that moment was uh, out of out of a window at a tree that was being pecked by a small woodpecker. The internal visual image, though, was the the image of Harms Woods and uh, me as a child running through the woods chasing after a woodpecker that was jumping from tree to tree, and that uh, exhilarant, that emotional exhilarance that was there. And then uh, the cognitive understanding that the, the, that particular species is extinct and the sadness that comes in, and so that there's a, a melancholy experience that then becomes attached to the um, experience of the present moment and the bird of the present moment and then an aversive reaction to that sadness that's arising and then the gaze is shifting to divert away from the experience of watching the bird is that all making sense can you then track all of those things happening in the in the present moment so that you actually have a complete understanding of what what it is that you're experiencing in that moment and then creating uh, and pushing into the experience of the present moment when you form your intention and action so that 
you're actually in line with the present moment and not uh, engaged in an intention and action that's distorted by uh, the perception. Huh. There it is. Um, Christian. When you had this internal trip, um, did you did you just kind of watch the whole thing, or did you at some point and and let it kind of conclude on its own, or did you cut it off at some point, or did you find yourself guiding it in any way? Like, what was your strategy upon noticing this? I noticed that when the aversion uh, um, got too big, I looked at something else. And then the, the process began again of forming the meaning of looking at something else. So on that particular day, uh, you might remember uh, it was snowing. And so uh, I grew up in Chicago. Um, <laughs> it snowed in Chicago a lot. <laughs> They're still posting pictures of the 1967 snowstorm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when I looked out the window, uh, uh, I, it's been, I don't know, decades since I've been in a snowstorm. Snow it wasn't even a snowstorm. The snow was just sort of falling like a Christmas card, uh, if you know what I mean by that. Just a pleasant flowing, falling of snow, not, no wind, not particularly cold. The snow was stacking up on the branches for an inch or two. Everything was covered. Because there was no wind, it just stayed there. It looked absolutely magical. And then, uh, so the external site space is being made into this uh, snowy field, and then it is one succession after another in the internal experience of memories of childhood and uh, lots and lots of pleasant memories around uh, around that uh, experience of being uh, in the snow. No reference to birds. Uh, My experience on that one was, what what's wrong with these people? It's just some damn snow outside. <laughs> But I was pretty impressed with the fog, so you never know. <laughs> yeah, ho hum fog, which we have, you know, half the time. <laughs> so you were watching us just enchanted by the snow, which seemed quite ordinary. Yeah, I was like, I'm not going to even try and have a magical experience. Have their, their snow. What actually delighted me even more than that was two days later when it turned into gray slush, which I remember uh, from uh, growing up uh, in Chicago, where uh, it always turned into gray slush. Uh, so that made me laugh pretty hard. Um, but what I'm, but what you're beginning to, uh, I, I think, collect in this 
conversation is that we experience the present moment in re reflection to our conditioning and that that conditioning informs uh, in many different kinds of subtle ways the way that we perceive the present moment and we can assign meanings and actually limitations or expectations to the experience of the present moment which then can be confining in terms of the choices that we make out of the choices that are available to us. Is that making sense? That if you think you, you don't uh, deserve something, even if it's there for you to take it, if you don't think you can take it, you don't try to take it, and then the, the choice of not taking it is what unfolds and opens up into the next moment. Uh, and so that's what we want to begin to uh, really understand about that. Um, <clears throat> if you then also watch how your attention moves uh, as it creates the present moment, uh, the, if you're sighted, you know, if you have all of these senses active and available to you, uh, you make these little grabs, these little mind moments, these little pieces, and then you string them together. Uh, and that string of mind moments that you've selected is how the world is made up. So what are you hearing? What are you seeing? Uh, what are you feeling in the body? What is the database full of? And how does that uh, assign meaning to those kinds of things? Um, and then how do they all come together in a moment that becomes your experience? Um, so I described that a little bit, looking out the window, seeing light that became the pattern of a tree with a woodpecker on it, and then associating that pattern of light to the database and pulling up the string of, uh, of woodpeckers, uh, identifying that's uh, the closest, uh, I didn't know the name of that particular woodpecker, because I, I, I don't think I would, I'd seen one quite like it, but I'd seen a lot of other ones, but they were Midwestern woodpeckers, not uh, Sierra woodpeckers. But one of the things about moving from place to place in the life is that uh, everything changes slightly, but is, is recognizable. And then, <clears throat> and then having the uh, emotional quality of those early experiences and then the sadness following it. And then moving away from that to something else to avoid the, the sad experience. And then the cascade of the next uh, interpretation happening. Um, can you follow that process of uh, equanimity or craving or aversion or unconsciousness unfolding in each moment so that you can track that process of selecting and it's you you know it's that narrow selection of preference in everything that's happening in the environment in which is how you make the experience of it um, so if we were to begin that I'm sitting in meditation with my eyes closed so it is a visual cue that alerts me to the presence of the bird because I don't see it but what I do, what happens is I hear the that pecking sound uh, that would peck, peckers 
make. And I identify the sound as a woodpecker, and that creates a pleasant experience uh, inside, which causes me to come out of the meditation and open uh, my eyes and look to see if I can locate the sound. I could have chosen to stay in meditation in that moment, but there was a pleasantness about that, um, which is associated, right? When, when the process of making that sound, fixating that sound into something that had meaning, there was a pleasantness associated with it. And, and, and uh, so the, the mind is drawn toward that. And in that moment, I decided that I would like to see the, the woodpecker and then seeing it, it was a curious uh, um, uh, movement of the woodpecker rapidly up and down the trunk of the tree, which was quite engaging to try and understand it. And then coming back into the meditation and then the pecking and coming out of the meditation. So the idea with uh, conditionality really is to understand that in, in the macro sense, you're here, and you're here because the conditions that were necessary for you to be here have preceded this moment. You will continue on as long as the conditions that are necessary for you to be here are present in the previous moment. You can't be in the previous moment, but we can infer from this moment that if you're here, the previous moment had the conditions that allowed you to be here. Is that making sense? That's on the macro level. On the micro level is this constant process of the creation of the perception of conceptual reality that comes from our attentions being drawn in the various sense gates to the sensing activity. Mind is the activity of where our attention goes, what it, what it, what it picks up and includes. In um, the visual of the, the tree out the window, there were these small birds that had, that were quite, you know how some birds puff up and they look almost like a globe with a tail sticking out <laughs> and a little head on top. So uh, there were some of these birds, which I also did not recognize because they're not uh, where I live. They're, uh, and they were round and uh, sort of a, a, a dove gray color and with, a, with darker uh, brown feathers on the back, uh, round head. They didn't make any noise at all. And in fact, it was, that was the thing that was startling to me about them is I could hear the, the constant movement of the, the woodpecker, uh, the feet, everything about the fluttering, but these birds were stealthy. They were completely silent. And so had I not uh, had the experience of the woodpecker, I wouldn't have even probably noticed them and sat uh, in meditation with my eyes closed. So without the condition of the woodpecker pecking and hearing the sound of it, none of that actually would have been an experience. It could have come and gone without me being aware of it in any way. Is that making sense? Christian. It sounds to me like all of this process is still related to the present moment, except for perhaps 
some of the some of the sadness or the the pleasant feeling that arises from this that's maybe taking you back in time can you can you relate like the arising of these of these further conditions to like whether you consider them in the present moment or or not well everything is only in the present moment so we're recreating the experience of the past in the present moment and that's what informs the experience of the present moment but the origin of it is not necessarily that the, the present moment and so in the in the moment of creation we want to really have spaciousness around all of these pieces that come together so that when we make our intention to, to take an action and we take an action it's that part is really embedded in the conditions that are present in in this moment not inferred from the recreation of the past or the anticipation of the future but it sounded it sounded like you had an overlap or you had you had some of the past stuff coming up as a result of what you were noticing in the present moment right yeah i think that in each in each moment when we create the present moment when we're using the perceptual database to do that the meanings of the past that are embedded in the database are then associated with the present moment. And if we're not clear about that, uh, then the past and the present moment conflate. And then we're acting as if we are in the memory of the past, not in the present moment. That's the thing that's the most limiting of the choices of the present moment is we think we lose a sight of the present moment experientially and slip into the memory of what happened and then we feel confined by what was possible in the past not what's available in the present is that making sense the the, the experience of watching the woodpecker was quite neutral in the present moment there's some delight but it didn't have the exuberance of the child venture or the sadness of the loss of that. And that wasn't in the present moment. That was in the, my conditioned response to the experience of that. Right. So I, I guess I'm, I'm mostly curious about, because it seems like a lot of this would occur in terms of, of feelings. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious because it seems like you'd only be able to recognize that some emotion is coming up that's related not to the present moment if you could then connect it to a narrative from from say the past or the future so you actually have to i would think you'd actually have to be able to connect it to a thought to know what it is that it's not in the present moment or am i overcomplicating it um only if um that arises in consciousness it could be that just the emotion of sadness arises and so that you're looking at a situation in the present moment and suddenly you have a sense of sadness that accompanies it you don't have an you don't have you didn't catch the visual uh, internal visual process that led to that experience so you wouldn't necessarily know it if you weren't really present and tracking it 
would simply be you'd simply be in the experience of the present moment and would have those qualities to it. So uh, I, uh, one of the word that I quite like is called Tasha Nampant, Tasha Nampant, Tasha Panati, sorry, um, which is that you're constant, you get into the habit of constantly checking the sensing experience to what you've made, the sensing experience to what you've made, so that you know that the, the creation of conceptual reality is an accurate representation of what's actually happening in the present moment and it's not distorted by the inclusions of meaning that are from past associations that were used to help recognize the present moment. So you're constantly checking, oh, there's nothing about this particular scene that would warrant that exuberance or that level of sadness. That must be part of the process of having created it. Let me come back into the experience of the present moment, touch into what I'm actually responding to in this moment, and then you see that it's actually fairly neutral and it's, it's sitting in a meditation uh, hall, uh, meditating, but having been meditating for a long time and popped out of the meditation and, and, and looking for some kind of distraction might have been a better uh, way of uh, understanding it. Is that making sense? Yeah, that, that, that helps. I guess, I guess, yeah, if you can recognize that something is not commensurate with, with what it actually How you've made it. Right. Can you, uh, can you spell Taj Panati? Because I've been trying to look it up and I couldn't get it. Taj, a T-A, J, Japan, J-A-P, A-N, and then Panati is P-A, I think N-N, I'm terrible at spelling. So I'm going to just look it up. T-A-J-J-A-P-A-N-N-A-T-T-I. Did you get it? No, Google doesn't seem to be playing ball with me. T A J J A P A N A T T I Taj T A J Japan J A P A N Nati A N T T I Pretty sure I'm going to be the one who comes up because I'm the one who talks about it the most. <laughs> <laughs> All I right. didn't get it either. Did you get it, Kirsten? Mm -mm. All right. Let me try. Checking your reality, checking your reality. Yeah, I get bunches of stuff. That is crazy. <laughs> We're not at your level. 
um, listen notes. It's on Spotify, Anchor FM, Backtracks, Player FM, um, Stitcher, Google Books, Podcasts. My podcast comes up. There's a Shwe Dharma interview. T as in Tom, A as in Apple, J as in uh, Jack, J as in Jack, A as in Apple, P as in Pan, A as in Apple, N as in Nancy, N as Nancy, A as in Apple, T as in Tom, T as in Tom, I as in Irene. Okay, I found it. <clears throat> All right. What do you say we do some meditation? <laughs> um, Um, how'd that go? Maso Menos. I was kind of dozing a little bit, but I also got a lot of these kind of, I guess, PT, like frizzons of energy through, through my body. And I was trying to figure out if I was going to call those feel in or feel out because I could clearly feel them, but I wasn't sure if they, I don't know. So more investigation, I guess. Yeah, it, it's not so important. Um, maybe the, the, some clarity will arise uh, as you continue to practice, just as long as you're making the discernments. Yeah, I think I just decided at some point, I'll just call them feel in and see what happens. Good. Someone else? Well, let's see. Um, we have uh, a new level one starting on Sunday. Uh, we had requests from people to do it on Sunday rather than Saturday. So we're starting a series on Sunday. I'm teaching with Sam Akers. Uh, some of you may know her. Um, that'll run for three, uh, three Saturdays every other week. Uh, we're starting a new level two in April. I think April 11th. We've added a, a, a spring virtual retreat, which is, uh, I think it's um, maybe the level two starts on the 7th. The retreat is from the 10th until the 16th. Um, what else is happening? We have uh, a, an in-person retreat scheduled for uh, at Seven Circles, where we just did the last one, October 1st through October 8th. 
I think that's about everything that's coming up. Uh, anyway, it's it's all on the website if you want to look uh, and sign up for something. Um, I offer this class on a Donna basis. Donna is the poly word for generosity. Uh, um, so if you would like to make a donation to me or to Metagroup, you can do so by following the link on the website. We really appreciate any donation and help support me and also the work that we're doing. Thank you for coming and practicing with us tonight. We really appreciate it. If you want to practice in the morning, we have morning meditation, which you can get through uh, Patreon. So Metagroup on Patreon, uh, 7.30 to uh, 8 o'clock in the morning, Monday through Friday. Thank you and see you soon. Bye. Good night, George.